0: gift eternal life is a free gift and it starts not when you die it starts when you begin to live it starts the moment that you place your hope your faith in Jesus Christ that's the moment when eternal life begins we all look I can't wait to the end of my life so that I can go home and be with Jesus you're not acquiring your eternal life at your last breath it's your first breath after you and your heart have made that decision to give Christ your all Talking about the gift today. The gift. The free gift. Alright? We are covering just a few verses. It says this, starting in verse 15. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone? Thank you, Paul. For to the lawless, to lawlessness, excuse me. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting out of that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now you have been set free from sin and become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Point number one, freedom is not from without also being to. So we're not freed from something without being freed to something. This is very, very important. Just look at these verses just one more time. Especially down here in the bottom in the red. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. So the truth is, you can't jump from one plane without landing on another, right? So you're going to land somewhere. You're either going to land on another cliff or at the bottom, but your feet are going to land somewhere. You can't hop from one ledge without hopping to another. And many people believe that true freedom is total autonomy. That means that if I'm free, I can do whatever I want, whenever I want. That's true freedom, is to be totally and completely autonomous. But freedom does not mean free from all things but self. And that is the tenor of today. That is the song, it is the marching orders that society is giving us. True freedom is to be whatever you feel you should be. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Y'all remember that? So freedom does not mean moral neutrality. And this is what people think today. We hear a lot of this. That being free means that you can somehow be morally neutral. You can do what you do, you can do what you do, and never the two shall twine. But neutral means what? It means disengaged. You are completely disengage from a situation and the truth is no one is morally disengaged this is the truth say yeah come on jason i am I'm, i'm pretty i'm on a pretty even keel i don't have to judge i don't have to look at life this way well let's prove it for just a second because that's what i love to do a car bombing in iraq is that right or is it wrong well You don't know the circumstances. You don't know what led to it. But every single person, when they see an image like this, their heart's broken a little bit. Everyone. Everyone has already, at this image, these men running, you've already made a moral judgment. And I could guess at what that is, but I won't. So, how about this? How about a man paying to have his wife murdered? Right or wrong? Well, just a few years ago, a band that I listened to, uh, the lead singer, I don't listen to him anymore, the lead singer paid the LAPD $1,000 to kill his wife. Right or wrong, you and I have already made a moral judgment. I hope that the, that the proof is already in the pudding. You're not morally disengaged. No one is. No one looks at these images, and all of a sudden, they're like, "Mm, I'm not going to judge that. You already have, just looking at the images. This woman embezzled $80,000 from a little league. Don't answer. Right or wrong? You've already made a judgment. Even though she has tears in her eyes about what she's done, everyone has already made a judgment, because there is no such thing as moral neutrality. It does not exist. There's not one place you can show me in the Bible where it does. So, the picture that's being painted for us today is that you can live this life. Never, ever works. And what standard do people use to say that you can live a life that's morally neutral? That's how they feel. But we are not freed from something without being freed to something. You want to be free from something? You're being freed to something else. So yesterday we celebrated the 4th of July. Really awesome that we live in a nation where we can celebrate our nation's birth, and there were fireworks everywhere, and everyone was out celebrating, and it was just a marvelous time. And when we declared independence, we were not becoming a nation of people free from all forms of restraint. And this is what people believe today, and it's wrong. The founders never, ever believed that all of a sudden we were going to be free from all forms of restraint. We were submitting to a new restraint, one that would be governed by the people. Now, there's a a list of grievances here that Thomas Jefferson wrote up to give to the king. This is what you've been doing. We want freedom from this. But in being freed from this, they were going to be freed we were going to be freed to something else. So again, many people believe that true freedom means total autonomy, that I am autonomous, I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, and it's just not so. I remember an illustration that I heard just a few years ago about this same exact point. If you decide you want to be a marathon runner, and you're not in the best shape, you say, I want to become a marathon runner. This is what you want to do. So in order to do that, you need to abandon your old lifestyle and change and adapt to a new lifestyle. Is that new lifestyle freedom? All God's people said, no, because now you're limiting your calories. You're measuring how much you exercise every single day. You're taking your heart rate. You are now so in tune with your body, you're disgusted by it. Alright? Does that sound like freedom? No, but it is. Because you are accomplishing what you want to accomplish. You want to run those 26 miles. So in order for me to run those 26 miles, in order for me to be freed to that, I need to be freed from my old lifestyle. Freedom is not free from something without being freed to something. So scripturally speaking, and scripture speaks to every area of life, scripture speaks to every area of life, scripture speaks to, say it everyone, every area of life, everyone. You're either yielding to Christ or to self. And there's no other option. And that's what we seem to struggle with. That I can kind of live in this neutral area where this part of my life I can keep for myself, but all the rest of it I'm going to give to Christ. Oh, also that other thing, I, I don't want to give him that yet either. I'm not quite done with that. You're either yielding to Christ or to self. That's it. Look what it says again in our verses here, 15 through 18. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin, we were all slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. You're saying we got set free from being slaves in order to be slaves again? Yes, because you were never freed from something without being freed, say it, to something. There is no position of moral neutrality none does not exist though this is what's being preached every day to us and taught to our children it it just is not truth it isn't there's no way that we have enough experience or wits about us to decide whether or not someone lives or dies without a standard That's the world that we are told we should live in. How society feels about a particular issue. Do you know the problem with democracy? Democracy is 50% of people plus how many? One guy. One guy. You know what happens when you live in a pure democracy? That one guy who may have eaten a bad taco, who may have had a bad fight with his wife the night before, makes a decision that changes all of society And the next day, what happens when he says, I voted wrong, I want to go back, I don't like what we have now. It's too late. Now you need to gather the 50% and have one more. Imagine life like that. 50% of people, plus one guy, make the decision for all of society. That is not the type of life that anyone wants us to live. It's not biblical. It's not. So when we consider these things, think about that for a second. Is it right in your eyes, in your heart, has God put that information within you that all of society should be split in half and have one guy added for the deciding factor or is there a standard that we should live by? A standard that says that certain things ought to be punished and certain things ought not be punished. The standard of God's word is so pure, so perfect. Imagine this. Imagine if someone steals your car, however new it is. They steal your car. What happens today, they have to pay restitution. You will never, ever, ever get back your car. Not happening. Without your insurance paying for it, you're not going to get back. What does God's word say? Not only does that person have to give you a car of equal value, they also have to pay on top of that. Because you've lost something. And the Bible is equitable and all about making things right. There are certain crimes in God's law that the only way things can be made right is by that person being put to death. So the Bible is very pro-death penalty. Because if you violate a woman, there is no way to put that back in place. If you kill someone, there is no way to put back what you have disrupted You can't resurrect them. It's done. The Bible is very, very pure and very, very true and very, very clean. And what we would rather do in many cases is say, well, that that's not how society feels we should live, how we should act. Which is why we need to be very, very adamant that God's word is the standard for all areas of life. This passage goes on to talk about sanctification. And sanctification, we see sanctified, you have been sanctified, and we think all of a sudden, great, done. Well, yes, yes, you have been sanctified. You've been cleansed by the word of God. In your faith in Jesus Christ, you have been sanctified. But sanctification is not complete. If anybody listens to the Kent Hovind uh, Master's Crib a few weeks ago, he talked about an antibiotic. You take an antibiotic, and two days later, you are feeling like gold when you weren't a couple days before. Why is that? Because that antibiotic killed 99.9% of the bacteria. Whatever the infection is, 99.9%. But what still remains? That 0.1%. Got to get rid of that too. Then you're going to be clean. Then you are going to be healed. There's still sin remaining in our lives that needs to be dealt with. Now, eternally that has been dealt with on the cross, yes, but we are told we need to mortify the sin that is still in our lives. What it says here, this process of sanctification, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification." Notice what it doesn't say. i love to point this out because I read the Bible like God is going to do all this stuff to me until I read it two or three times and then I realize, oh, there's an awful lot of you should or you ought here or you. So now, I will present your members as slaves to righteousness. Is that what it says, everyone? No. So now, present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. As you yield every part of your life to Christ, you are becoming more and more holy. That's exactly what sanctified means. It means to be made holy. This is what is happening in our lives as we walk with Christ. Holiness does not come by doing good, but by surrendering every part of our lives to Christ. And this seems uh, like I'm saying two different things here, and I'll show in just a second why that's not so. 1 Peter 1, 13-15 This is something that we slip up on all the time. We think that if I just hope hard enough, if I just have enough faith, God's going to move this mountain for me. Well, yes, he will move mountains, amen? But we have work to do too, amen? This passage specifically says we have work to do. We have to be active in our faith. No part of the Christian walk is ever passive, It is active. Now notice, I did not say no part of Christianity. Your salvation you did nothing to accomplish. Can I get an amen? Very passive there on our part. Christ marched to the cross. Christ carried his cross. Christ died and bled out. Christ pardoned us. Christ made the payment for us. So now in our Christian walk... There's no passivity at all. It is an active surrender each and every step, every single time. And what does that lead to? What's our passage say? Sanctification. It leads to sanctification. So the question is, then what do we do? All right, because we see here that there are some things that we need to do. What are we to do? Well, notice, present our members as slaves to righteousness. I thought of a perfect example of this. How many here love Lord of the Rings? Come on, you got to love Lord of the Rings. There's the the part where they all get together and they unite as the fellowship. And this is like the goosebump part. They're all arguing over who's going to carry the ring. Frodo says, I'll carry it. Then what happens? They start coming forth, one at a time. Aragorn says, you have my sword. Right, and my bow, and my axe. They all step forth one at a time, and they know that it is certain death. They know that probably it's going to be painful, and it's going to be difficult, but they put their whole lives into this, and it's a beautiful illustration of what we're talking about this morning. They make a conscious choice to surrender what they have, what they can do, to this mission. So what can we do? We can make a conscious choice that the next conversation you're involved in, which will be within the next ten minutes, promise, almost done, next ten minutes you're going to be talking to somebody, your tongue will be presented to Christ to be used for his righteous work. Now there's nothing magical about saying, Christ, you can have my tongue, just like Aragorn said, you can have my sword. But it's important to surrender every single part of us to him. Christ, I I pray that the next conversation that I have is edifying and works toward building up your kingdom. So we have our our, our speech, the way we talk. Make a conscious decision that the next work day that you are involved in, people say, well, I don't work. You do something with other people. Your hands will be presented to Christ to be used for his righteous work. Why do we want to do this? Why why do we want to make this declaration? Why do we want to make this stand and say, God, you can have this and you can have this. You can have my tongue. You can have my hands. I want you to have my feet because this work is eternal. And that's something that we forget. We're all going to die, all of us. We are all going to take one final breath. What are you going to leave behind? The work that we do here in this life will not get us to God. But it may be a testimony that God uses to draw others to Christ, to the gospel. This work that we are doing this work in our everyday lives where we talk to people and where we work, where we help people, where we build things, where we continue to follow in the dominion mandate, this work is eternal. And we cannot believe for just one second, not for one second, that the choices that we make are insignificant. Depending how you look at the next ten years, the work that you're doing, as minuscule as it is, even dusting, is eternal work. Not trying to draw this down and make you feel good about every single thing you're doing, but we're supposed to do all things to the glory of God. Amen? All things. Even dusting, even mowing the lawn, even trimming the hedges. All of these things are important. All of these things are a testimony. Now people are thinking, man, I'm sharing the gospel all the time. Woo, all right. (laughs) This work is eternal. It's good. It's important. You and I have no idea how God may use it. None. But we know that it won't be wasted. God's promised that. Last point, third point, eternal life is a free gift. A free gift. It says here in Romans 3, six twenty 20-23, For when you were slaves of sin, you were freed in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Holiness comes not by doing good, but by surrendering every single part of our lives to Christ. Say, well, isn't that good? Well, yeah. But it's not like I'm keeping a a little notebook somewhere and I'm saying, well, God, I was nice to such and such, and he was mean to me today hopefully that counts toward my my kingdom work for the day. No. 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 (laughs) We don't keep a list of rights and wrongs and say, well, this was good, this was good, this was good, this not so good, but God, I had three goods and one bad, so can't they can't? That's not the way this works. You can't level things out that way. It comes by surrendering every part of our lives to Christ with every single step. God, I messed up. I just had a conversation with such and such. I'm going to go make this thing right. Please use this conversation toward building your kingdom. I don't know how it's going to happen. It's a free gift. Eternal life is a free gift, and it starts not when you die. It starts when you begin to live. It starts the moment that you place your hope and your faith in Jesus Christ. That's the moment when eternal life begins. We all look, oh, I can't wait to the end of my life so that I can go home and be with Jesus. You're not acquiring your eternal life at your last breath. It's your first breath. After you in your heart have made that decision to give Christ your all. Seems like half the time we're just stalling and waiting. Boy, Lord, come back. I'm I'm ready to be done with this. We have work to do here. He's commanded us to do this work. We have to surrender ourselves to him in every single step. So, question. Was eternal life free was it? Well, Christ dies to attain it, right? So, question, was eternal life free? Was it? Well, how about this? Let's, let's state it clearly. It's free for us. <laughs> we like free stuff. But nothing is free. Right? Free always costs someone something. Free always costs someone something. So when the Bible says this is a free gift, what the Bible is saying is this is a free gift to you and I because it costs us how much? Nothing. 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 And it's amazing that we always have this thought in the back of our heads that we can do enough to earn God. And Christ, just imagine for just a second, Christ looking at you, knowing that he's placed his spirit within you to remind you of all that he's done. Looking inside you and seeing you keeping this little checklist of things you can do to earn God when Christ has already done all that it takes to get you to him. Free always costs something. Someone always pays. A few years ago, we were in a restaurant. And um, it was actually it was quite a few years ago. Now it was just me and the boys, the boys and I. Sitting down, we were coloring on the back of our mats i gathered gather to get her some money so we can go grab some supper together, just have a men's night out. And uh, we bowed our heads to pray and um, picked up our heads. We ate our meal. The bill came. It's like two bucks. Oh, my goodness gracious. What happened? Well, the guy over there saw you guys pray. He liked that families are still doing that. It's not a pat on the back. This is just a, an illustration here about free. He wanted to pay for you guys' meal. He gave this much toward it. So, wow, that's that's so awesome, free to us, right? But it costs someone something. Cost that man. Think for a second about driving through McDonald's, which uh, a couple weeks ago we were through Dunkin' Donuts, and someone ahead paid for us. So, man, how awesome! That was free. It wasn't free, right? Cost someone something. Christ paid for our eternal life in full. That is the most amazing statement you will hear today. Because all of the debt that is owed to us, the wages of sin we're told, we read this morning, is death. All that is owed to us, but Christ takes that on his shoulder and he pays the payment for us. And says this, what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is Death. Christ took that death on himself. The life outside of Christ is attended with shame. And what's 1 Peter 2, six say? For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Romans ten eleven says this, for the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. So one of the benefits that we have, one of the beautiful benefits that we have in Christ is mm-hmm. in him there is no shame. None. He has borne the shame. Just look with me in closing at Hebrews 12. What's amazing about the gift they receive from Christ is we know that nothing is ever free. And Christ, when he died on the cross, he gave everything. Everything. And what's he ask in return? That we, in response to his sacrifice, offer our lives up to him as a living sacrifice.